right. Well, thank you. That was such a great, I don't even feel like we need a sermon after that. Um, and I didn't bring a rock or anything. So, um, and we're so glad you're here. I'm so happy to see uh, so many smiling eyes and uh, faces and um, kids and uh, guests. Uh, I know this is a weird season that we're all in and we're all navigating it in different ways. This morning, I'm going to talk to you just a little bit differently um, about some current events and kind of where we're headed. Um, But I want to do that in the context of rising up because we've been talking about being a resurrection people. Uh, So we, over the last year, are certainly rising up out of quarantine and sickness and a pandemic, and we hope that that is, we're at a consistent rising up and out of it, and we don't see another wave. Um, We do still have those struggling with it in our community, and uh, be praying for the Moore family. Aaron came down with COVID this week, Um, so they're dealing with all of that, and I know many of you have been through it as well. It went through our house uh, I'm excited that if you want a vac- uh, vaccine then or a shot, you can have one now. Um, it is open in Hamilton County for anybody. You don't have to qualify anymore. So anybody who wants to go, you can go to the Hamilton County Health Department website and you can do that. So I fully expect that what we're going to see in these coming weeks is a return to seeing each other more often. We're going to see more familiar faces. We saw some some more new familiar faces we haven't seen in a while this morning. I'm so excited about that. It just makes my day, makes my week. Um, I'm excited to have uh, Joe joining us in worship and um, just having an opportunity to see our community represented. Um, you're going to see some uh, some changes over the next few months as we transition through things. And what I've told you before and what I fully believe is that Relationship and loving each other is the way we move forward. We've spent a year apart, and we are coming together, and we have a world that is asking new questions. We've been through some hard months together, and it's time for the church to rise up, but also to recognize uh, the world has changed a bit. So some of the things we're doing are a little bit different. Um, small groups will be kicking back off soon. I'm not sure exactly when. We'll we'll let you know. Our ladies group is still meeting on Wednesday nights by Zoom. Um, our college group is meeting. You're going to be at my house tonight. And uh, some of you have asked. We have opened the college group up to seniors in high school if they would like to participate, but only if you're participating in youth on Wednesday nights. We don't want you to choose to come to college group instead of youth. But if you're coming to youth, We're having a little different conversation with our college students, and you're welcome to be a part of that because you're getting ready to launch out into a new season of life. Um, So that's happening Sunday nights at our house at 5, and you're invited to be here for that. Our youth are meeting on Wednesday nights at 6.30. um, They've had the opportunity to be up. This was their second week to be up in the renovated youth space, and so we invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, We had a great parent meeting this morning where we laid out, or not parent, but volunteer interest meeting this morning where we kind of laid out where children's ministry is headed. And I do hope, parents, that you'll come to our parent meeting on April 11th at 9.15. That morning will be when we start babies through first grade. Now, if you have an elementary schooler, it does not mean that we have forgotten about our elementary schoolers. Elementary schoolers will still join us in here. 
They already joined us for worship before, um, but we're not going to launch Kidmo right now. We are going to be doing some other things with you as we prepare and as we restaff a ministry. After a year, we're starting from scratch. And so a number of you have volunteered, and we're thankful for that. If you still would like to serve in our kids' ministry, it's one Sunday a month um, because it's going on um, right when the service is going on. Then I'd love to hear from you, or you can talk with Deidre, and uh, we would love to have more faces involved with that. One other uh, person to be praying for that I know of, there's probably others that I'm not aware of, but uh, be praying for Robin Berry, who had an accident and hurt her foot, had surgery this week. She's recovering this morning. We got to see her last week as well. Um, but be praying for her as she's recovering, and I know there's a number of other um, of you that are struggling with things in your families and your lives as well, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. So our kids are in the room, and I want to be aware of that, and I have shortened kind of the time I'm talking since we have kids in the room right now, and their attention span's not quite as great as ours, although I'm not quite positive that adults' attention span's any better. Um, you may agree with me, and... I would always joke when my, my parents a, attended here um, before they stopped making the drive down to Chattanooga, uh, we would joke about the day, the number of times that my dad would actually stay awake during the sermon. And even today I, at their church that they attend now up in Knoxville, I, I uh, talked with one of their pastors and said, no, just know it's not, it's not your fault that he falls asleep. He just, this is the way he's always been. He's always fallen asleep. So I want to be aware of that as well. But um, this has been a rough week. <laughs> This has been a rough week, and I don't want to go into a bunch of details. I want to give you some broad strokes because we do have uh, several kids in here with us today. But when we talk about being a resurrection people, it's just not enough for us to talk about life after death. It's not enough for us to just talk about what it means to follow Jesus, and then what do we get for all of that investment once we die and we get to go to heaven? That was never the way Jesus talked about following him. It was never how he talked about heaven. It wasn't the way that he talked about, um, you know, why is it a good thing to know God and to do his will? Those were not the ways that Jesus described having a relationship with him. We often fall into that category because we come to this place where we think that our faith is supposed to be about being happy and getting to do all the things that we want to do. And we realize that well, gosh, that's not really the way it works out. And then when we start reading Scripture, we start reading about all the, the warnings that Jesus gave and the, the things that the disciples went through, and it immediately brings us to the place of questioning. I'm just not sure that uh, they see Christianity the same way that many of us do. The reality is, is that we do live in a broken world. And while I'm very thankful, now two days this week, we have dodged what could have been severe storms in our local area that... Uh, that could have ended in, you know, we've, we've had some terrible storms in the last year. Last Easter, we had terrible storms that we're still recovering from. And if you drive through parts of our city, you still see tarps over houses, houses that have been leveled and houses that are being rebuilt, as, as well as just huge swaths of landscape where the trees are gone. They're just gone. They're bent over. I mean, it's just incredible, the power of a storm. And we're thankful this week that we didn't have to experienced that here while our friends to the south of us in Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi did and dealt with it in a really tragic way. We've been talking about reemerging after uh, this pandemic, and as much as we all want to be able to get there, we're not quite there yet, and yet 
all of our hopes and dreams are kind of tied up in the fact that this is going to be over and then life is going to be great. But you know what? Life wasn't perfect before the pandemic. Life's not going to be perfect after the pandemic. This week we had two mass shootings, one in Atlanta and one in Boulder, both by 21-year-old 21-year-old men. Then this weekend, we had a 22-year-old man who was arrested in Atlanta who was preparing to do that in another grocery store, but he was caught before it started. You know, we look at this kind of a world, and the reality is, as much as we want to come together, we want to to worship, because God is worthy of worship, and we want to believe that God loves us so much that he will insulate us from anything that hurts. Reality is, it doesn't take long for you to follow Jesus to realize things still happen in life that hurt, and they hurt deeply. And it's caused some people to come to a, a real this crisis in their faith, number of people walking away from their faith. We have some really really well-known people that are just putting out uh, stories about why they decide they're not going to believe anymore, and it's just heartbreaking, and it hurts, and we're just, we hate that this is the reality that people are going through. So how do we understand suffering in this kind of a context? And as much as we would say, well, it's just the pandemic, you realize before the pandemic started, we averaged in our nation one mass shooting per week. Do you know that? Now, mass shooting is categorized as any event in which four people are critically affected. We were averaging one a week. It's not like we're going to get through this pandemic and all of a sudden life is going to just be beautiful and perfect and everything's going to go just exactly the way we want and we're never going to hurt or we're never going to be sorry. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, there is a crack in everything. Isn't that true? There is a crack in everything. So what do we do? Do we fold up shop? Do we just accept that this is the way the world is? Do we just walk through life fearing what's coming next? Absolutely not. A resurrection people don't live that way. So how do we live? What do we do? How do we transition out of this pandemic? How do we deal with the hurts that we are struggling through? Some of you are experiencing that even in the midst of of the pandemic. I was talking to one of our young guests this morning who's doing Zoom classes, and for some of you, Zoom is awesome. For some of you, Zoom is horrible, right? We've had all kinds of times where, you know, in our family, we joke, we, we haven't really felt the isolation that some people have felt because we have six people under one roof. Like, we still want to get away from each other at times, right? But isolation can be painful Relationships have been stretched in a way that they haven't been in a long time, and problems that were under the surface are now very clearly on the surface that we're dealing with. There are all kinds of hurts that we deal with, all kinds of anxieties that we have. You could get hurt like Robin. You could get sick like Aaron or others. You could lose someone you love, which is kind of another level of hurt, right? There's different levels of hurt as you grow up when you're young and you realize there's a birthday party you weren't invited to. There's hurt there, right? 
with parents, when that's your child, I think that's not hurt. It's anger, right? You get kind of mad because your kid hurts. We don't want to see that. As you grow up and you navigate the social scene, the social scene is fraught with landmines and bombs and also beautiful pastures and meadows and great experiences. It's life. It's what we learn. It's what we grow. For the last several years, probably at least the last couple of decades, our college students are going to be leaving college with a headline that constantly says the job market does not look good. Some of the anxieties that our students feel is the fact that they work so hard and they hear this message that is so fatalistic that says, you know, when you get out of all this, life's going to be hard. Well, you know what? It is going to be hard, but it's also going to be fun. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be an opportunity to go experience things that you've never experienced before and go places you never thought you could go before. There's all kinds of hurts and pains that we struggle with. There are broken relationships. Some are dealing with parents who are aging, and that's a whole nother level of hurt that you sometimes go through, and others who feel they're here all by themselves because they don't have any family around them anymore. What does it look like to live a life that is full of, What does it look like to live a life that is full of joy and not just happiness because there's a difference? What does it look like to live a life when you're hopeful even when everyone around you is not? What does it look like to be able to say life is good when all the headlines say life is falling apart? Well, as we read through Scripture we find that there are plenty of places that the Bible talks about suffering. And while we don't like to talk about it, because that gives us a sense that everything's going to be just fine if we just pretend that the suffering's not there, God has never been that kind of a God to us. He has addressed it, and he has shared with us, this is how you get through life. We're going to be looking at James chapter 1, but before we do this, I want to read uh, something from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8, this is what he talks about in their experience as disciples. He says, And we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We've been talking about stories of resurrection throughout the Bible, and there are many of them, and we're not going to come close to talk about all of them, but I want to talk about this God who raises people from the dead today because he raises us from so much more than just a pandemic. He raises us from so much more hurt and pain and brokenness, and we want to look at James, the brother of Jesus, to give us some insight. I love the epistle of James. Now, there are a couple of disciples named James. There was the one of the sons of thunder, and then there was James, the brother of Jesus. The epistle of James is written by him. James, the brother of Jesus, was sometimes called James the less or James the just or simply James the brother. <laughs> Scripture tells us that when Jesus started to emerge in his ministry, his family did not recognize that. I believe Mary did. 
We don't know exactly what Joseph's story was because we only hear about him in the very beginning of Jesus' life. And then something happens to Joseph towards the, uh, towards or as he's growing up. But somewhere along the way, James must have changed his tune if he ever did doubt. And not only did he change his tune, he became so convinced, and a resurrection tends to do that. He became so convinced in this, he became one of the leading apostles in the church in Jerusalem. Now, one of the things you need to know is that James probably wrote this probably 20 to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He has stayed in Jerusalem the entire time while many of the apostles have spread out in what would be called the diaspora, which literally means in from the Greek means the dispersion. The dispersion happened in spurts throughout the nation of Israel's history. It happened beginning long before Jesus was born, and it happened after Jesus died, and it even happened after James died. However, James was writing a letter to the people who had left Jerusalem and felt like they were in a land that was not their home. A people in some level of perpetual suffering, he wanted them to know that God was with them and God has a way through this. So as we look at James chapter 1, I want you to know that's the person that we are reading. Now James's story is going to end like many of the apostles' stories end in which he is brought up in front of the people by the Pharisees and commanded to turn away from his faith, and he refuses. And when they ask him about this Jesus, he gives a very succinct demonstration of the gospel to which the Pharisees drug him up to the top of the temple and pushed him off. And when he didn't die, the Pharisees beat him to death. To his last breath, James believed everything Jesus ever said. He believed it. And this is what he says to those who are struggling with suffering because James was acquainted with suffering. Jesus, it is said, was also a man acquainted with grief. You know, we forget that stuff. One of the things we want to believe, and one of the Gospels that I have been guilty in the past of saying, which may be technically true but completely misses what someone hears, is that if you accept Jesus as your Savior, everything's going to be okay. Now, technically, that's true, right? Like, technically, there is life after death, right? But, you know, I've never made a decision in my life that I thought, you know what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing? Thinking about how I'm going to work out life after death. Like, I don't think in those terms because i got stuff going on right now. Does anybody else think like that too? Like, if the only thing I get from Jesus is when I die, I'm going to think about that when I die. In fact, when I was a kid, this was my decision. I grew up in the church. I knew all the things about the church that you're supposed to believe. I even got baptized at a young age. And one of the reasons I got baptized is because in our church, my parents wouldn't let me take communion during the worship service, which were incredibly long and incredibly boring, not like ours, of course, but incredibly long and incredibly boring. And, and they would, but they would occasionally have snacks in church. And I wanted them, but I wasn't a Christian, so I couldn't have them. So I can solve that problem. That wasn't the only reason I got baptized, but that was one of them. 
But I had decided that when I get old and I get close to death, which would probably be somewhere around the age of 40, I don't think that anymore, but as I get somewhere around the age of 40, I probably ought to you know, kind of shore up this end-of-life stuff be just to make sure that I'm good if it is all real because no one over the age of 40 actually has any real fun in life anyways. Pretty much old and done. And, and a lot of people do that when our faith is about what happens when we die. But I wanted something as I got older and I began to realize things, life does hurt. I want something now. I want something real. Something that affects my life today, not just then. This is what James said, knowing that people were going to suffer. He said, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, I'm really convinced that this can't fully be understood until you've lived some hard life. I think we read these things and we go, okay, James, okay, yeah, all right. I'm going to, whoo, I'm so happy I'm hurting. This is great. Isn't this great, Jesus? I'm hurting. It's not really until you get to the place where you feel like you may break, that this begins to make any sense. So for those of you who have not gotten to that point yet, entertain. I'm going to entertain you for the next few minutes. You can entertain me by acting like you're really interested. But for those of you who have been through something that you feel like has brought you to the edge of being broken utterly to pieces, you're, this is for you. Because this is who James is writing to. These are the people that he's giving this letter to shortly before he himself is going to be thrown down from the temple. This is, he gets suffering. Those who have been through it. Here's what we're going to do. And we're going to go through this kind of quickly. There are a few key phrases and I want to unpack for you. And then we're going to be done. Number one. Count it all joy. Now, if you were not with us through the Emotion Series, I encourage you to go back. Emotion Series was really a good series, and the point of that was let's talk about how we're feeling, and let's make sure we're not just driven by our feelings. Our feelings are deceitful. But one of the feelings we talked about was joy, and we contrasted it with happiness. This is one of the crucial things we, especially as Americans, who, who claim to have the corner market on the pursuit of happiness. It's very important for us to understand the difference between joy and happiness because happiness is a disappointing thing to pursue for the rest of your life because it is elusive. And one of the things that we find when we looked at the definitions of happiness that in the English, uh, happiness or joy means a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. That's what joy is, a feeling. And we can try to convince ourselves that we feel a certain way, but the truth is we feel how we feel. There's no right or wrong how you feel. You feel how you feel. And how you interpret it and what you do with it are two different things. But how you feel, you can't control that. Now, how are we going to spend our lives chasing after a feeling of happiness? Certainly no one in their right mind would say, you know how to be happy? Suffer. 
Like no one in their right mind says that. There are people who have believed that, and there are some groups of religious people in the past who have tried to celebrate, and even today, try to celebrate their suffering as if this demonstrates their faithfulness to God. And certainly, following God faithfully through suffering is faithfulness, but no one pursues it like I want it. Like, you know what? I've never had a conversation with myself that goes something like this. You know what, Mark? I don't know. What, Mark? I don't know how your conversations go. No, life's going too well. Don't you feel like life's going too well? Yeah, you know, it really is going a little too well. I'm not sure about this. You know what we need? We need some pain. That's what we need. That's what that's what this life is missing. Never have said that. Never had that conversation. Never intend to have that conversation. When pain comes, I have the exact same response you do, which is, oh, wait, wait, how do we stop this? How do we keep this from happening? No one pursues suffering. So why in the world would James attach suffering to joy? Like, that's crazy talk. I'm not going to rehash our our week that we talked about joy, but the way the English defines stuff is just really horrible. Horrible. It's not the pursuit of a feeling. Joy is not a feeling of happiness. And some of the things we talked about is in in the Jewish context, joy for them was the knowledge that God was real and he was faithful. They could trust him. Even if they couldn't trust anything else in the world, they could trust him. And one of the things that we found is that happiness is a binary concept. You are either happy or sad, right? There's not a spectrum, you're happy or you're sad, but joy, joy is different from that. There's a sense of life's okay, I'm going to be okay, even when things are bad. J.D. Salinger said this, happiness is a solid, but joy is a liquid, because joy has room for struggle, and happiness doesn't. Joy has room for suffering. Happiness doesn't. The reason James can say consider it a joy is because he knew you could have joy and you could struggle at the very same time. Can't do that with happiness. You're either happy or you're not. Joy is different. It has room for the bad stuff. So what James is talking about is this concept, this liquid concept of joy. One of the phrases that he says is that you're going to have trials of various kinds. And isn't that true? He's basically saying, like, all kinds of bad stuff's going to happen. <laughs> I can't even categorize it. Like, it's going to be all over the place. Like, what's going to happen to you won't happen to somebody else, but what happens to them won't happen to you. It's really, there are all kinds of ways that we are going to have trials. I will say one of the big questions that people that are on the rim of faith or are outside of the faith, they ask about us when we talk about joy and we talk about the beauty of Christ and knowing God and all those things is, well, why do, what about the fact that God lets bad things happen? And, and, and that's a hard conversation. We're not going to try to conquer here, but I will say this. Sometimes bad things happen because this is a broken, cracked world. We attribute bad things to God, but we attribute good things to ourselves, right? That's what we have a tendency to do. That's what the world has a tendency to do. 
Some of the bad things that happened was because we made really bad choices. And we're just living out the consequences of our choices. And just like we don't let our kids escape all of the bad consequences of their bad choices, God doesn't let us escape all the consequences of our bad choices either. I mean, that's just being a good parent, right? I mean, you don't overburden them to death, but they got to squirm under those bad decisions. It's been said that the, how do you learn to make good decisions? By making bad decisions. It's part of life. We also live in a broken world with broken people that go into grocery stores and do terrible things or massage parlors and do terrible things. People are broken. There's, the world is cracked, and the crack that was already there is bigger than it was before this time last year. It's one of the reasons I think people are asking new questions. There are also trials that come from God. There are. We know more should try to escape those than we should try to escape those beautiful days when we see a sun come up and we say, God, you are glorious. We shouldn't try to escape either one. 23rd Psalm is often quoted because we walk through the, through the meadows with God. But he also says, I'm with you when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. It's going to happen is what I'm trying to say. It's unavoidable. It's the human experience. This is what it means to be a, a human today. I don't have to describe trials. You know what trials are. You know how they feel. He goes on to say that with all of these trials you're going to have, that you should consider it a joy. There's going to be a testing of your faith. And the reality is, is it does test our faith because when we believe that God is only good and God is only glorious and God is only worthy of our worship and worthy of following him, when good things are happening, when the bad things are happening, we question all those things. And so it is a test of your faith. And the reality is that testing asks this question, do you really believe this is real? Do you really believe this is real? Because one quick way to find out is when things start hurting and you start praying and God doesn't reverse it. Do you really believe this is real? See, this has been the story of Christianity from the beginning. The idea that you can navigate life above all of the bad stuff is a more recent concept for us. It was never a biblical concept. In the 4th century A.D., the church went through a uh, crisis. And this is about the time that Constantine has announced that Christianity is now the worldwide global powers religion. It really muddied things up for us big time. We've talked about that quite a bit here. We start infusing power with faith, then we start getting really messy. Things start getting going downhill. But there was this belief, this struggle. People began to say, you know, this was 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus. People were beginning to say, Jesus was a good man. Have you heard that one? Jesus was a good teacher. But he wasn't the son of God. He wasn't divine. And so they began to struggle with this question, can we really believe the gospel? Can we really believe any of this is true? and that we can give our lives for this or, or not. And so Constantine pulled together 318 delegates, 318 Christians that come together and say, we've got to decide this issue. Is Jesus divine 
or not. It was called the Nicene Council, and we have at the end of that the Nicene Creed. Why am I telling you this? Historians tell us of the 318 people that were invited to this delegate, fewer than 12 were invited that had not lost an eye, lost a limb, or did not have some kind of severe physical limitation due to torture and persecution because of their faith. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hold an event, and you're only going to get to be invited if you've lost an eye for your faith. I mean, there's like not going to be anybody here, right? Fewer than 12 of the 318 delegates had not undergone some kind of physical alteration because of torture and persecution. And you know what they decided? Absolutely, Jesus is the Son of God. Absolutely, this is real. This is the power of the supernatural working within us, the Creator God who made all of this, who causes the sun to rise and to set. And even if I have to give a limb for this, I will never turn away from what I know to be real and true. Oh, I wonder what it would look like if that was the case today. If that was what we went through, and in some parts of the world, they do still go through this kind of persecution. Marshall McLuhan, the Canadian philosopher, had an aphorism he repeated regularly that he said this. He said, we don't know who discovered water, but it wasn't the fish. <laughs> Isn't that good? We don't know who discovered water, but it wasn't the fish. The reality is that the fish is in water, and the only time the fish recognizes what water is is when fish is out of water. Once the fish is out of water, they realize, oh, i got to get back to that. Part of the testing that we go through and the suffering that we go through, the reason we do it is because it changes the way we see things. Why does God allow us to suffer? Because it, there are fewer things in life that will change the way you see the world more than suffering will. There are, there are almost no times in your life you will ask those questions unless something is going wrong. Because when life is going well, we coast until life stops going well. It's kind of similar to one of the phrases we often say, which is, you don't know what you have till it's gone. Testing of your faith. Do you really believe this is real? And he says, and when you do this, and when you go through this, this is what you're going to experience. You're going to experience steadfastness. Which when we, we talked about, well, what is love when we, in our emotion series, that love is patient. There's a component of time that comes with love that says, I'll give you the time you need. If I need to confront you with something, I will think about the best time to have that conversation with you and how I will do it because I love you. There's a component of time to this, and this is precious to us because we have such little amounts of it. We have more of it now because we've been forced to be in quarantine, but very quickly, if we're not careful, we'll trade all the margin that has brought us some level of health for activity that we had before the pandemic, and before you know it, we'll have no time for anything again. Steadfastness is a benefit of suffering that has a component of time with it. Some of your versions, uh, as you read, it may have... Um, 
translated this as endurance or patience, just like love. There's an element of time in which we don't just try to race to get out of it, but we are okay through it. There's a patience. Something's going to happen. Something good is going to come of this. And it gives you the ability to hold fast, to give it time, but also to believe it's short-lived. God is going to bring a rescue. One of the things that I recognize in people who are constantly breaking, every time you talk to them, something new has gone wrong. There's a sense within them that there's not a time to suffering and a time for suffering to end. Like suffering is what gives them meaning in life, and that is a terrible way to live life. It's a terrible way to live life. Steadfastness says there's a time for this. Some things may take longer. Suffering is longer. Some sufferings you may never fully overcome, but your life is not defined by that suffering. And I'm thinking of parents who lose a child. Can there be something worse than that? steadfastness. He also says one of the benefits is that you will become perfect and complete. Steve Leader is a, a rabbi of the lar- one of the largest Jewish congregations in the United States. He's in Los Angeles, and between the two campuses of their church, they minister to over 2,400 families. It's a massive Jewish congregation. There are few people in all of history that understand suffering more than Jews. Few people. This is what he said. He said, pain cracks us open. It breaks us. But in the breaking, there is a new kind of wholeness that emerges. Now, depending on where you are in the process of suffering, if you're entering into it, you're in that cracking, breaking phase, and the idea that you become something more after is like, you can't even consider that. Not even a consideration. All I feel is, I feel a crack. I can hear the cracking in my own body, in my own life, my own soul. But he says that always ends, that we become more whole. Perfect and complete does not mean without problems. It means that you are wholly and fully becoming the person Christ wanted you to become. Every time the scripture talks about in language of perfect, it really means complete, whole. Not without error, but whole. Suffering brings us to a place of wholeness. Why is that? Here's what I'll leave with you for today. We rise up through suffering because we see suffering differently than the world. Christians have to hold the banner of rising up through hard times. Suffering also jerks us out of our normal lives to show us something new. The reality is the truth. I want to be very clear that no healthy person chooses suffering. No healthy person goes after sufferings. Oswald Chambers said this. 
To choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. (laughs) To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. In other words, we can follow Jesus knowing that suffering will come with it and fully with joy live that life. But we're not going to go out and try to hurt as much as we possibly can. Something else is going on when that becomes the focus of our lives. And I believe for us to move forward as the church, we have to be more serious about our faith than we ever have. Because the world is breaking and the world is looking for what is real and what they see and consider real is what is consistent. We cannot be a different people here than we are out there. We cannot be a different person if we're praying or speaking to a congregation than we are when we are posting on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or anything else. We have to be consistent in who we are. We have to stop chasing happiness because it's elusive. And when we pin our hopes and dreams for happiness on Jesus and something goes wrong, guess who walks away from the faith? Anyone who's watching you and is asking questions. This is why we're asking different questions as a church coming out of this pandemic. The gospel's the same. God is the same. But the world has changed. And while many will say, oh, but it'll go right back to the way it was, I don't believe that. But let us not go back to that. Healthy followers of Jesus choose God even if it means suffering. That's what Oswald Chambers was saying. And suffering is meant to be overcome, not to be embraced like an old friend. It's meant to be overcome. It's meant to make us stronger and more focused on our object of hope, which is what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians giving you tons of quotes because I want you to hear from people who know something about suffering. Helen Keller, who at 19 months old, lost her ability to see and hear. Her ability to take in any kind of stimulation that we would not know how to live life without. She could not see or hear. Everything was touch. This is what she said. She said, although the world is full of suffering... It is also full of the overcoming of it. The reason you know who Helen Keller is, if you do, is because she overcame it. That is our calling. I'm going to leave you with the scripture that I opened with, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be aware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We wanted to die. That's how bad it was. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. May our suffering cause us to rely on the one who has resurrection power and has promised to work with that power in us through the Holy Spirit. And while we may be suffering, we have to be bastions of hope for a world that is breaking.
If you're going through suffering this morning, I don't want in any way to make light. I don't want to rush you to say you should be over it. There is no deciding when suffering is over. But I would encourage you, you don't have to go through it alone. James later in chapter 5 is going to say, if you are suffering, pray, pray, pray. I have learned through my own suffering that we pray not only to recognize God and the beauty that he is with us, but we pray that he will help us see what we are supposed to see, and that we will come out on the other end. Scripture tells us if you are going through immense suffering, the kind of suffering that leaves you to the place unto death, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to comfort and care for you. God is not leaving you where you are. He is there with you and for you. Let us remember that. Let us claim that. If you are in a place where you're not suffering and you think, oh, that's crazy talk. My life is good. Just wait. Just wait. It's coming. It will be here. But when it does, so is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us, and you have told us that you are going to be with us both through the good and the bad, the thick and the thin, the things that hurt and the things that feel good. You are there and you are real. I thank you for the testimony of of those saints who have gone before us who have demonstrated the beauty of knowing you is far greater than any momentary suffering we may experience in this place. Father, I pray that we would not seek suffering out, but when it comes, we would not be sidelined because our hope is in you. Father, work in us so that we as a resurrection people can help our neighbors, our co-workers, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our kids, our friends, people we go to work with, that we live on the street with. Let us help them to rise up too so that we can all experience the beauty of knowing you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.